This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back, everybody. It's Encounter with God time. 20 million movement, 20 million people right across the world studying the same passage of the Bible together. And before we get into our Bible study, we are going to have another clue for our quiz. few people having a crack. Nobody's won it yet. I got it wrong the first time round. But I told everybody you got it right. My yes, bad. Right. Your handwriting's pretty bad. Yes. I'm sorry, but it's true. It was a it was a definitely a benefit this morning. But it's okay. I you... got bragging rights <laughs> for something I didn't even... It's kind of a clue, you know. It's kind of a clue. What looks like something else. But anyway... Uh, Anyway, moving on. When Abraham first interceded for Sodom, the Lord said he would spare the whole city if this many righteous people were found. Okay. It's a good clue. This is one of those numbers. I don't think there's going to be any really easy clues in this list. Um. There is. The the very, very last one. The very, very last clue is is pretty straightforward. Anyway. A quick reminder, everybody, that if you are listening to the delayed broadcast or if you are in an area while on your daily commute, the signal suddenly goes weak somewhere, uh, the very easiest solution is to grab the Faith FM Australia app. I used it yesterday. Good. While I was, you know, not here. (laughs) Yes. While I was home because I couldn't find a station that was clear. And I was like, you know what? I downloaded the app on my phone for this very reason. And it was perfect. Absolutely. Super easy. Yes. Because in Raymond Terrace, I think you'll get uh, Roar FM coming through. Yeah, there's some other... Yeah, I was like, this is not what I want to listen to. (laughs) Yes. We need to buy that transmitter. That thing cranks. Anyway, (laughs) um, story for another day. Um, We... uh, Okay, so it's very easy. You just go to your uh, app store, um, type in Faith FM Australia. It's the white... Background with a red ziggly line across it. That one. Ziggly? Ziggly. Yes, ziggly line. Yep, nice. Um, and uh, simply download that one and you are good to go. Just press play. Simple as that. Easy. Too can easy. Can you choose which uh, program you listen to? Absolutely. Fantastic. You can listen to all of the pro- previous programs via podcast. You can uh, go, yeah, I just want to listen to the breakfast show today and listen to the breakfast show. Even Fantastic. when the breakfast show is not happening. It's, it's always best when it is happening. I just, I just, whenever I use, I just hit live. But you can, you can, yeah, you can go back and listen to all the old. You can listen to, uh, you know, John Bradshaw. You know, all the favourites that, that come through on Faith FM. Oh, They're nice. all available there. Yes. Nice. Yes. So it's an awesome app. It gives you opportunity to uh, to read articles, to see links, to um, make donations. Lots of things you can do with the app. So jump on there. Download it, download it right now, and run it through the Bluetooth in your car or your aux cord, and you are good to go. All right, we are in Daniel chapter 8. We have been talking about the first two beasts of Daniel chapter 8. Uh, Daniel chapter 8 begins with a, a ram and goes to a goat. Now, this is interesting. We talked, we talked about the goat yesterday, and we didn't finish talking about the goat yesterday. Um, so a couple of things to preview, and then I'm going to make a, an, an interesting observation. Okay, so what does an animal symbolize in Bible prophecy? Kingdom. A kingdom. Okay, so we've got two kingdoms here. Uh, this particular prophecy, the Bible uh, gives you the prophecy and the symbol of an animal and then gives you the explanation. So Gabriel comes and gives the explanation. 
And so who does the angel Gabriel say in plain language that the ram is a symbol of? The kings of Media and Persia. That's right. And who does the angel Gabriel say in plain language is the goat a symbol of? The king of Greece. Okay, so it goes Media, Persia, Greece, and then Rome. That's kind of what we would expect, except it misses Babylon out. Why does it miss Babylon out? Is it this past the point of Babylon? Yeah, Babylon's pretty much done. So yeah. they don't start with Babylon here. They start with Media and Persia because Babylon has lost its relevancy. Okay, now here's another interesting another interesting contrast. You go from symbols in metals mm-hmm. in Daniel 2 to symbols in animals in Daniel 7 and then you have symbols in animals again in Daniel 8 but the different kinds of animals. What kind of animals have we got in chapter 7? Wild beasts. Yeah, really nasty ones. Ones that are going to eat you and Ravenous. enjoy the meal. So uh. lion, leopard, bear, and then something nondescript. That, the, the, the nondescript, which would be something along the lines of, you know, you kind of imagine a T-Rex. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So scary. Scary, scary animals. Scary. Yeah. And then we come to a sheep and a goat. Cute. It's a big difference, isn't it? Cute. Yeah. They're going a bit wild, but they're very domesticated animals in and of themselves. Yes. Okay, so they... All right, all right. So that's interesting, Sven, you made that, make that uh, observation, is that we're like, oh, cute, but then they come charging through and smash things. Hmm. Yeah. So that's a bit of a surprise. <laughs> Something's got into them. Something's got into them, and they go from being cute to being very violent. But they're still domesticated That's animals. right. Okay, so why is it... That the prophecy has changed, do you think, from wild animals to domesticated animals, and particularly sheep and goats? Because there's a theme running through this. There is a theme. There is a theme. And that theme comes through in verse 14. And uh, Gemma, can you read for us verse 14, please? The other replied, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the temple will be made right again. Okay, so there's a theme here. That is about the temple. What the was the sanctuary. primary? What was the primary animal that was sacrificed in the temple? Ooh, a lamb, a sheep. Nice. And another very significant sacrifice was the sacrifice of a goat. Go to the Day of Atonement. You know the Yom Kippur. Yeah. It's the yeah. sacrifice of a goat right there. But there was only goats. one day when both of them would be sacrificed together. Yes. Yes. So there's one. So you've got sheep and you've got goats, but there's one day when both of them become relevant, Ooh. and that is when the temple is cleansed, the cleansing mm. of the sanctuary. This is like a mystery story. Oh, yeah, so yeah. cool. <laughs> very, very cool stuff coming through here in Daniel chapter 8. Okay, so having, having sowed that seed in everybody's mind through those observations. Let's go back to the goat. We did not finish talking about the goat, but we did mention that you know Gabriel says that the, the ram is a symbol of Media and Persia. Uh, the goat is a symbol of Greece, and the great horn is a symbol of the first great king. Who's that? Alexander the Great. This is Alexander the Great. And then if we go down to... Uh, let me see here. Um, verse 8... Gemma, can you read for us verse 8, please? Daniel 8, verse 8. The goat became very powerful, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. In the large horn's place grew four prominent horns pointing in the four directions of the earth. Okay, so we noted yesterday that when the goat came to power, 
he was absolutely flying. And he was. He was. He was. He was. He was. He comes charging across, and he comes from Europe. So this is a. This he comes from Europe across into Asia, and Alexander the Great, when he crosses into Europe, is twenty-two years old. Ooh. You know, that's he's a young kid. That's a lot of power for a twenty-two-year-old. And he conquers the world by the age of about thirty. Thirty Oof. by the age of thirty. So in seven eight years, he's marched his army five thousand miles, and he's conquered everything. Uh, between uh, Greece and India. And when he gets to India, his army says, we've been on the march for all of these years. We want to go home. We want to see our wives and our families. And he realizes he can't go any further and he weeps because there are no more nations to conquer. This is, he is a bit of a psycho. In fact, he was a big psycho, um, Alexander. And he goes back to Babylon. He drinks himself to death in Babylon. And by the age of 33, he's dead. And what's also interesting is that, you know, he gets to Babylon. He's never seen anything like it. You know, this is a city that's three times the size of Corinth. And Corinth was one of the great cities of the ancient world. At its greatest point, it was three times the size of Corinth when Corinth was at its biggest point. This is the, you know, and he's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to build, we're going to rebuild Babylon and of course, that's a that's a terrible idea because the Greeks aren't so keen on it because it's not Europe, it's Asia, and it's a long way from Greece. But he's just like, wow, this is this is the city, this is the place. But he dies there. Yeah, you know, the Bible said Babylon would never be rebuilt, and uh, Alexander's story is a part of that story. Okay, so this is some of the history of what is going on here. Then the Bible says that at the height of his power, he's broken. Hmm. Now that's bizarre. Because we all know and understand from the study of history that nations grow weak, and when nations grow weak, they get broken. You know, you start to see the cracks forming, and you know the rot starts to set in, and then over a period of time, the nation is broken. The Bible says, "No, this one will be broken at its strongest point," and that's exactly what happened. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so there in verse 8, it says it was broken and four um, horns came up to replace it. Let's go to see what Gabriel says about this. And Gemma, can you read for us, where are we? Uh, verse 21, 22, just, 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 just to summarize that uh, very quickly. The Gabriel's explanation of the four horns. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek Empire. The four prominent horns that replaced the one large horn show that the Greek Empire will break into four kingdoms, but none as great as the first. Okay, so Dr. Sven, did this happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. So so when Alexander um, died, his... Uh, kingdom was broken up and shared with his four generals. Uh, so there was uh, Ptolemy, uh, Seleucids, and then the other two as well. Cassandra Lysimachus. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> the, the, the four of them. So, so literally this, this great empire of Greece was, was divided up exactly as the Bible said. Um, and this was, this was hundreds of years before it happened. Over time, of course, the Seleucids were able to conquer the, um, the whole northern part of that. And so it really became a, and this is what comes through in Daniel chapter 11, um, a fight between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Yes. And, and, they, and they fight it out for, you know, generations. That's right. Until the Romans come in and just smash everything. 
That's like, right. yeah, we'll have both of you guys, you know. Mm. You've been fighting forever. Um, we'll take sides with you and then we'll take sides with you and then when you're weak, we'll have everything. Thank you very much. But I guess the thing that, that really strikes me is how accurate the Bible is in terms of prophecy. Um, because, you know, you have a great king uh, that that um, is is very fast, conquers very fast, broken at the side of his, his um, uh, reign. And then his his kingdom is broken up into four uh, parts. And for me, I'm going like that. That is incredible. That that points to the uh, to the knowledge, the foreknowledge of God. And this is what's interesting because there are many uh, many who argue that the book of Daniel was written during the late Greek era. And their only argument, because there is no internal evidence in the book of Daniel to suggest a late authorship of the book of Daniel, there is no external evidence to suggest a late authorship. In fact, all of the evidence that we have uh, suggests that the book of Daniel was written during the lifetime of Daniel. The The only evidence that anyone ever brings up, sorry, I butted in, is the accuracy. It's the only evidence that they have. Well, it's also, it's an anti-supernatural assumption. That's right. uh, You know, motive. It's as an assumption that, well, you know, telling the future is impossible. Therefore, this must have been written um, after the event. It Correct. doesn't solve their problems. No. Because the prophecy extends, you know, way beyond the Greek Empire, way beyond the Roman Empire, all the way down to our day. And, and in particularly about the, the, the ministry of the Messiah. Yes. And we are coming to that. In fact, this prophecy... Uh, while it is actually all about the sanctuary, has a big chunk in it, which is about the Messiah. Because Jesus is at the center of the sanctuary. the center of the sanctuary. That's Mm. right. Yeah. Uh, So where are we up to? We are up to verse 8. And now let's go to verse 9. Let's consider verse 9 because we've got a change taking place right here. Uh, Jemmy, you've been reading for us. Why don't you keep going? Then from one of the prominent horns came a small horn whose power grew very great. It extended toward the south and the east and toward the glorious land of Israel. Okay. Hmm. Who would this... All right, all right, right. I need to point out something. Um, Let's look at the ram for a moment. And the Bible says that the ram in verse 4, he did according to his will and became great. Right? Mm-hmm. Then if you go to the goat, um, in verse 8 it says, Therefore the male goat grew very great. And then when you go to verse 9, Out of one of them came forth a little horn, which became exceeding great. Okay, so let me point out the obvious here. Very great is greater than great. Yes. <laughs> And, and, and if you're going to conquer another nation that is that is great, you have to be greater than the nation you're conquering, right? Yeah, you'd want to be very great. Yes. You're going to get, but if you're going to conquer something that is very great, you need to be something that is greater than very great, and that's very, going to be exceeding great. Great, yeah. Mm. So it goes from great to very great to exceeding great. So we have an escalation in greatness. Cool. So we have to ask ourselves the question, who conquers the Greek Empire and is greater than the Greek Empire? Rome. You've only got one option. There is only one option as to who the little horn here is, and that is a reference to Rome. You're not given, the Bible doesn't give you any other options. 
So often I have people that come along at this particular point and go, oh, it was Antiochus Epiphanes, who's otherwise known as Antiochus who? <laughs> because nobody's ever heard of him outside of a few eschatologists here and there. Yeah, I've got a clue. Like, okay. Yeah, you, yeah exactly. Sure. Okay, Gem- Gemma right. is a, a prime example of Antiochus who? Yeah, what? <laughs> but here it says that out of one of them came a little horn. Yes. So, uh, Mr. Lyle? Yes. I want to know, out of one of them, what's the them? What's the them? I, I, I knew, I knew <laughs> Dr. Sven Erstring would have to go here. Because, I, I just, I want to know. Because I now, know. He wants to, now he wants to debate with me, did it come out of one of the horns? Or one, or of, one of the, the winds? <laughs> if you guys could see how excited they're getting right now. Okay, so I'm going to give you a very political answer. Ooh. Ooh, okay. that... All right. Okay, so in my opinion... The Hebrew, uh, was it Chaldee? I can't one of the whatever. The Aramaic of this passage, um, from a grammatical perspective, lends its weight towards it coming out of one of the winds. Yes. Now, when the Bible speaks about the four winds, it's speaking about the four points of the compass. So it's going to come from one of the four points of the compass. There's going to come a nation that is going to be greater than and stronger than Greece. the Greek Empire. Mm. Now, there are others out there. So that's my opinion. There are others out there who will put very strong arguments forward to say it came out of one of the horns. But Lila, it doesn't quite make sense. Okay. All right. I, I, I'm, 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 I, I'm all ready for... Uh, um, uh, 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 yeah, anyway. <laughs> let's, let's, let's do this. Dr. Sven Erstring, go for it. I think the thing here is that we have to remember out of one of them came a little horn. The, the first thing that it talks about in, previously to that is the four winds of heaven. So, so the, in terms of a literary, literary flow, yeah, yeah the, the grammatical precedent is yeah, is that them is the four winds of, of heaven. Yes. Now, the the big challenge is this: is that people will say, "Well, you don't get horns just popping up by themselves." Okay. Yes. So, so you got the four winds of heaven, and you got out of one of them, horn. random horn coming up. But, and this is really, really amazing, is that if you go to the sanctuary. There were literally horns in the sanctuary which were not connected to an animal or to another horn. And where do you find that? You find that on the altars. Because if you go back to, to Exodus and uh, where there's a description of, of the, the furniture in the sanctuary, the altar, uh, God gave directions to put four horns at the edge of the, the altar. And so, they're not connected to any kind of animal whatsoever yes, at all. Yes, exactly right. So the, th- the point here is that this passage, and when it says out of one of them came a little horn, really it's, it's taking us back uh, to this concept of the sanctuary where you can have a little horn popping out of almost nowhere and um, it becomes exceedingly great. It becomes exceedingly great. And historically, that's exactly what happened as well. You know, Rome started out as this, this tiny, obscure village and, and simply just rose 
into um, this towering, exceedingly great empire. And so I, I want to say, you know, when you follow this through, it, it does go back towards the four winds of heaven, this little horn coming out of, of somewhere else other than the, um, the, the, the goat. And, and it follows through thematically. It's very, very strong, very, very sound. I'm so glad you are here today. This is going to be so much fun. We're going to be uh, back in just a moment and with the counter-argument. In, uh, but before we do that, we're going to listen to True North with Master of the Wind. You're listening to Faith FM. When the breeze turns in to a gale I know the master of the wind I know the maker of the rain He can calm the storm and make the sun shine again bring me low but it cannot bring me down I know the master of the wind I know the maker of the rain he can calm the storm and make the sun shine again I know the master of Sunshine again. I know the master of the wind. Oh, let Jesus calm your storm and let the sun shine again. He is the master of the wind. Okay, so Dr. Sven has just been putting forward a very powerful argument that uh, the 
the little horn comes out of one of the four winds and not one of the four horns. Now, that's based on the, you know, largely on the fact that when you read the passage here, the grammatical antecedent to uh, the little horn, of course, is the winds and not the horns, correct? That, that is correct, yes. All right, so if we go yeah. over to Daniel chapter 9, and if we go to verse 26, it says, After 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and under the end of the war desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. The grammatical antecedent to he here is the one who will conduct the war. Is that not correct? So therefore, if we're going to have the use the grammatical antecedent argument in chapter 9 and we're going to apply it in chapter 8, then it comes out of one of the uh, four, four um, horns rather than the four winds. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> You're back at me, eh? Back me. <laughs> well, the, the other thing we need to do is... We by need the way, to by the way, I agree with <laughs> Dr. Sven Erstring on this one. You're playing uh, the devil's advocate here. I, I, this is, this is uh, it's time for fun here this morning, theological fun. But the other thing is we need to take, take um, the, the bigger picture here as well. So, so we we've got this. Out of one of them came a little horn, which okay. So we're going to take the picture. So we're going to assume subject matter, well, as you do in Daniel chapter nine. But we're also going to go back to Daniel chapter seven okay. as well, a- right. and we find and Daniel two and Daniel two as as well. We're going to oh. we're going to see where where does this little horn come from in terms of the the geographical and direction. we can also we can also go forward to Daniel ten through twelve. That's correct as well. That's so, correct. So as in well. Daniel two, you go. You know, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. In Daniel 7, you go Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. In Daniel 10 through 12, you go Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. And then in Daniel 8, you go Medo-Persia and, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Medo-Persia, Greece. And then, surprise, surprise, just when you thought it was going to be Rome, it's Antiochus. Who? <laughs> that pops up. Antiochus Epiphanes, which kind of makes no sense at all. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, I'm butting in. You are, you are butting in. Yes. So we had to just dive into more of this and say, well, who's it actually talking about? You know, um, you know, is there any other indicators, whether it's Antiochus Epiphanes or a greater empire that follows the, 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 the Greek empire? Yeah. That's the question we need That's to right. ask. Absolutely. And I think it's very, very conclusive that when you read the, the prophecy here, there is absolutely no way of putting Antiochus Epiphanes into the prophecy. And so if that is the case, why have people done that in the past? They, they've done it in the past because there were Jewish commentators that actually rabbinical writings which attributed this... Uh, prophecy to Antiochus Epiphanes. And why, why would they do that? It's because the Jews held their temple in very, very high regard. Very, very high regard. Because this was where the, the presence of God was. This was for them the, the center of, of where they could receive reassurance of forgiveness and salvation through the sacrifice system. And for Antiochus Epiphanes to come to the temple and, you know, sacrifice a pig, you know, raise up, um, you know, idols to his, his pagan, uh, pagan gods and things All like that. All of which he did. Um, that, you know, that would have been, been terrible. I mean, to put it in context, 
um, hypothetical situation. So just keep that in mind. If, if someone came here and did something terrible to the Sydney Opera House, uh, you know, even though we might, um, you know. Uh, As Australians, we would feel. We would feel incensed. Yes. About that. Yes. And so. And not at the same level as what the Jews felt incensed. Because because we don't necessarily see God as residing in the Sydney Opera House. Yes. Okay, so here's, here's an interesting parallel. Knew. Okay, so when Al-Qaeda went after the US, they went after you know the, the, the center of capitalism in the US. They went after the trade towers, and the United States became incensed by that. And then they were able to use that. America was able to use that incredibly effectively to call America to arms in you know Afghanistan and the Gulf War and to create a, a tremendous sense of patriotism. And so it became a political tool... Mm. As well, yes, which also happened during the Maccabean period, um, where the Maccabees and you know these other guys who were anti-Greek um, rule were able to use this as a political tool by saying, "Aha, this was mentioned in Bible prophecy, therefore we need to you know this is we we, we the Antichrist has been in our temple and we need to um, rise up in arms against this particular." Um, power mm. and I think uh, Lyle we need to remember that this is a very human thing to do because you know we we, we look to the Bible we, we want to f- know what's true and um, uh, we want to to understand what, what God is going to do in the future what, what the, what's happening in the world and so I remember you know back in, in the 80s I, um, I was alive back then and um, you know when, when we were looking for for, for Russia and communism in Bible prophecy. And, and we were trying... Antichrist was always Eastern European amongst evangelicals back in the uh, Cold War. You know, where, where's the nuclear kind of war, you know, Cuba, um, Russia, whatever. And, and so it's a very natural thing to do. So I think that's the first thing. So it's important not to, uh, not to look down our noses at the Jews. But there, there is a danger in this, and that is, um, you know, if you um, you look at John Stott, he he talks about how we need to um, we need to have the Bible in one hand and newspaper in the other. But you know, when we're when we're preaching, uh, very important. But at the same time, when we're when we're studying prophecy, it's important not to use our newspapers our you know um online news articles and and time magazine to interpret prophecy we need to be actually analyzing and understanding the bible principles what of interpretation sola scriptura yes for absolutely. and and so we need to go back rather than jumping in and saying russia's in there with nuclear war and 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 communism uh, when, and, and for the Jews saying Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the pig sacrificed on the, the altar, it's, it's sacrilege. I'm, I'm so incensed by it. No, let's go through carefully um, beca- and responsibly to find out what is this passage actually referring to. And, and I want to tell you very honestly that I have studied this because I want to know the truth. If it's mm-hmm. Antiochus Epiphanes, I want to know if it's Antiochus Epiphanes. Absolutely. But if it's not anti-Epiphanes, I want to know who this little horn really is because this little horn is arrogant to the hilt. Absolutely. A couple of things to mention very quickly, and I'll just go through these in our last uh, 
a uh, couple of minutes is that Jesus did not believe it was Antiochus Epiphanes. He very clearly states so in Matthew chapter 24. We'll probably get that to that tomorrow. But I do want to cover a little bit of history just uh, to, to try and wrap this off as to why Antiochus Epiphanes actually did this sacrifice of a pig in the Jewish temple. He was marching on Egypt because the, he was a Seleucid king and the Seleucids and the Ptolemies always fought each other. And as he was marching on Egypt, he was stopped in his tracks, not by a massive Ptolemaic Egyptian army, but by a single, very elderly Roman who was armed with a stick. And he stopped the entire Seleucid army right there in the desert before he got to Egypt. And he stopped it by drawing a line in the sand. We all know the saying, the line in the sand. This is where it originated from. He drew a line in the sand and he, he, he said, the moment that you step across that line, you can consider yourself to be at war, not just with uh, Ptolemaic Egypt, but with the Republic of Rome. And he wasn't game because he was too weak and too insignificant. And so he, he went back and he was um, in, a, in a rage and he just needed to take his um, anger out somewhere. And it happened to be the Jews were the closest people, so they were the ones who copped it. And so that's how that all happened. And so the whole story of the sacrifice of the pig is actually an illustration not of Antiochus Epiphanes' greatness, but an illustration of his weakness and his insignificance. Anyway, in comparison to Rome, which of course then was only a republic. It wasn't even yet an empire. We need to move on with the show. So many good things we could cover here. This is uh, Lee Nash, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us.
for you to come and fellowship with us and worship God at Wollongong Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find us at the corner of Victoria and Young Street and join us for Bible study every Saturday morning at 9.30. And service at 11. See you there. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Thank you. 
Everybody, you're listening to the breakfast show on Faith FM. We have come to question of the daytime, but nobody's snapped up Kemi Ogendi's um, <clears throat> album yet. And of course, that was Kemi Ogendi with Songs in the Night. And uh, if you would like to get that album, then you simply have to guess which number this is correctly. The next clue, or discover it, research it, find it, Google, find the answer. Google. Hmm. Do some Bible study. <laughs> The next clue, the number in Genesis that records Joseph's death. It is the last chapter in Genesis. Okay, they're just not getting any... Oh, that okay, that does get easier. Yeah, it's the la- The number is the last chapter in well, Genesis. Well, when you said that the, the chapter number of Genesis about Joseph's death, I'm like, yeah, that's not getting any easier than the other clues, but then you've gone, it's the last The one. second half of okay, the clue. Okay, all right, all right. The We're second half of the clue gives enough. it away. Yeah. You want Kemi Agendi's album? Call us right now, 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's one eight hundred three two four eight four three. We have a question that's come through from question comment from uh, Leon. Uh, what have you got for us there, Gemma? The question is: Is persecution also a form of blasphemy in the first century context? Okay, so we were studying in Daniel chapter seven uh, about how the Antichrist would blaspheme, and we looked for some first century definitions for blasphemy, just to make sure that we had the right understanding of the word yep. within the context of what it was being used in you know, Revelation 13, um, which is paralleling Daniel chapter 7. And we noted that the context in the first century of the word blasphemy, two of the definitions that you found there, which were kind of both the same definition, one was claiming to be God, one was claiming the power to forgive sins. Now, claiming the power to forgive sins is another way of claiming to be God. So in, a, in effect, they're both claiming to be God. Right. And Jesus claimed both of these things, and the first century Jewish leaders said, well, that is blasphemy. Of course, for Jesus, it was not, because Mm. Jesus is God, and Jesus can forgive sins. However, Leon raises a very, very significant point here, is that this is not the only definition for blasphemy you find in first century context. And if we go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, Uh, Let me think, we'll start here, say, in verse 12, where Paul is speaking and he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, for that he has counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer. So Paul says before he was in ministry, Christian ministry, he was a blasphemer. 
Well, what was he doing that was blasphemous? A persecutor and injurious. Huh. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So he's implying there that persecution is blasphemy. Absolutely. And so then we need to ask ourselves the question, when you look at the history of the little horn, did the, did the Antichrist, the little horn, claim to be God? Yes. We read many statements to that effect. Yes. Uh, did the Antichrist claim the power to forgive sins? Yes. Once again, we read many statements to that effect. Then we ask ourselves the question, did the Antichrist persecute? And we read many historical statements to that effect. Oh, yes. Uh, and, of course, these were you know, statements that official statements put out by the Vatican. Mm. Um, and we find that, yes, Christianity uh, as a whole has a very, very torrid history of persecution and violence against people of other faiths or people of other versions of the Christian faith. And, you know, about 150 million people died during the Dark Ages as a result of religious persecution perpetrated by Christianity that had become corrupted. And this is one of the things that we need to be very aware of all the time is that human institutions, human organizations are prone to corruption because of the human factor. And that when that takes place, yes, the Bible does uh, describe them as being antichrist. And, of course, you know, there's not a whole lot has changed coming down to our time. So very good observation there. He also observes that when the Bible speaks about the uh, Antichrist, that they went out from us, it says in the letters of John, uh, which is to indicate that the Antichrist is going to be of Christian um, origin, Christian basis, not from a different religion. Anyway, we're going to move on with the show. This is Josh Cunningham with Light of the World. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. There's a light in the Light on a distant shore, light on a mountain. It's the light that'll guide you home. It shines in the darkness, it speaks through the word, the light of forgiveness, the light of the world. in a valley I was lost on a raging sea lost on the mountain until the light shone on me and led me out of the darkness and back to the shore Top of the mountain to be lost no more. 
light of redemption It's the light of a grand plan It's the light of forgiveness Yeah, the light is the Son of Man Shining in the darkness Shining in the night Light is the way The truth and the light Right, guys, that was Josh Cunningham with Light of the World. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. We've come to the end of the show, which is a little bit sad for us. We do enjoy your company every morning. We love you guys, and we love being able to come on here and to spend the two, this two hours of the morning with you. Uh, but it also means that we get to give something away for free, Woohoo! which is always good fun. And a special thank you to uh, Dr. Sven Erstring for joining us for the show today. Uh, so much fun going through the... Uh, Having a bit of a, a, a debate between winds and horns. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll get into the daily tomorrow. Let's see if we can twist his arm. Um, okay, so what are we giving away today? We are giving away one copy of the book, Prophets and Kings. Okay, Prophets and Kings. There you go. This is uh, one of the uh, greatest books ever written on the history of, uh, really, of God's people mm. uh, during the period that we're studying here, you know, the book of Daniel and uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jer- Jeremiah and all of these guys, um, <clears throat> and of course the the kings of Judah and Israel. Definitely the best I've ever read on that particular subject. So if you would like your copy entirely for free, then give us a call right now on one eight hundred Faith FM. That is one eight hundred three two four eight four three. Or you can text us on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. If you would uh, just be the first person to get in contact with us, and that book will be yours entirely for free. 
Well, as we always do at the end of the show, we like to encourage you to study the Bible and to read more about what the Bible has to say. And also, as you go through this day, talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you'll grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Grego Pele right here on Faith FM. Oh.
me to abide by your word. I need you now to take control. Cause this world we live in is just no good. This world is not my home anymore. This world is not my home anymore. As I walk through life each day, there are struggles on life's way. This world is not my home anymore. This world is not my home. This world is not mine.